which is the agenda for the 21st century, United Nations, they start to get the people off the rural areas into the crowded cities, already crowded cities, we have a soiling green type scenario, everyone's stuck together like sardines. And the elite will live in the old Soviet style with their wonderful dash hours in the country and servants and all the rest of it, and they won't be crammed together. And under Agenda 21, there will be no private transportation. Look it up. Look it up to yourselves with public transportation only. And now that they're doing various military tests across the world, in their own countries, even there's even tests going inside the United States for road checks and so on by troops, it's getting used to not traveling outside of your area. All of these things that happen are to make you familiar with it. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt back cutting through the matrix. And before the break, I was mentioning that um, most folk are downloaded. They don't have really opinions of their own because you have to reason through facts and data to come to an opinion. We don't bother with that today. It's too cumbersome. We listen to the experts who will give us this side of a story or that side of a story, one or the other, because that's how most folk think. They take one or the other. It depends on your personality type. And you parrot those opinions often for the rest of your life and it's designed that way now what Brzezinski said most folk cannot reason for themselves they expect the media to do it for them and that's what it does so most people are being programmed day by day week by week, year by year all through their lives and because we are so adaptable they have no memory of how it used to be they think it's always been this way even though it's a hundred and 80 degrees from last year. And they think it's all quite normal. Now, here and there, you find someone who has a little bit of power, at least they're up in parliament and government, who says some of the right things. And if you've noticed, since 9-11 happened, uh, the politicians of closed ranks and all had to come up with one voice behind the legislation that they're passing like crazy. And the legislation yet just to see enforced. Once you see it enforced, uh, it will put the Soviet system to shame. It's way beyond that. And here's a, a British uh, politician here. He resigned last week. This is David Davis resigns from the Commons. And this is from the BBC on June the 12th. It says here, uh, Shadow Home Secretary David Davis has resigned as an MP. He's forced a by-election in his Halton Price and Howden constituency while he will fight on the issue of the new 42-day terror detention limits. Mr. Davis, 59, told reporters outside the House of Commons he believes his move was a noble endeavour to stop the erosion of British civil liberties. He's one of the best-known opposition MPs and his resignation came as a complete surprise in Westminster. He told reporters outside the Commons, I will argue in this by-election against the slow strangulation of fundamental British freedoms by this government. And then this was on with pros and cons about party politics and all the rest of it. But he said what had to be said. 
it, because it's true. Everything is, is happening across the whole world. Isn't it amazing how we're all in step together? And we still think we're nations that are independent. But we're all passing the same laws at the same time in unison, which tells you <laughs> we were international a long time ago. But as he said, I will argue in this by-election against the slow strangulation of fundamental British freedoms by this government. And we have to remember that because that's what's happening everywhere in the world. NATO countries had signed all these deals long before 9-11 happened to go into action together. And they would force other countries that they traded with into going along with them too. That's why you have Finland and Sweden and all other countries passing the same types of homeland security laws. It's all one big club at the top. And they're doing exercises in the United States, as I say. I read about that last week. How even these uh, troops will be doing road checks and practicing with non-lethal weaponry. I don't know how they practice with that. And this is all part of totalitarianism. It's, it's signs of the old fascism. People don't know what fascism is anymore. They, they think that, in fact, children are taught that the past is irrelevant in school today. That's vital to get them into the new phase of the greening project. All the past is irrelevant. If it's just somehow bad, that's all they need to know. And they don't know what fascism is. Fascism is when government is in bed with, with uh, the corporations. That was international corporations. So with international fascism uh, running rampant over the people. And the first country that really set up the fascist state openly was Italy with Mussolini and the excuse they used to come in with force was that the communists were running riots and partly that was true communism and fascism have been used together to bring a new system in this technique has been used in other countries too and it's interesting that here's a, an article from the Scotsman newspaper scotsman.com and it's it says here Bess uh, Berlusconi he's a prime minister I guess puts two and a half thousand troops on streets of Italian cities to patrol alongside police and he says so this is the 16th of June soldiers are to be deployed in Italian cities as Silvio Berlusconi the Prime Minister cracks down on crime as part of his government's new domestic security package. Now that's right out of the fascist handbook, even the way it's written here. The troops are drawn from those who have served abroad. Well, that's what's coming everywhere. They'll patrol alongside regular state police and carabinieri paramilitary police. They'll be able to stop, search and identify suspects, but will have no powers of arrest. Now listen to this. Instead, they must all um, uh, take suspects to the nearest police station. In other words, they can't arrest you, but they can take you to the police station. Well, under what? If they can't arrest you. Well, if it's the end of a gun, uh, that speaks volumes. Defense Minister Ignacio La Russa said, we are talking about a contingent of 2,500 troops who will 
patrol alongside ordinary police in order to safeguard the security of citizens. The scheme will be initially for six months and then renewed for another six months as a one-off, and that will be it. If it was possible to recruit and train 2,500 police officers immediately, and I would be delighted not to use troops. And then this goes on and on and on. This is simple fascism. And it reminds me of the article I read about a month ago when about two, over 2,000 British policemen were sent into one area in London to go through apartments one by one and stores and everything. We're seeing the same formula across the Western world. And no one's thinking anything about it. And we should be. Because this really is the big stick coming out now. And as always, you see, if you yourself are not being directly affected at the moment, you put it out of your mind because it doesn't affect you. It's someone else. Someone else is getting the end of the baton or the prick of the bayonet, but it's not you. And that's happened at the beginning of all tyrannies until eventually it comes round to you. It doesn't miss anyone. I can remember when, when some of the writers in the Soviet Union, like Solzhenitsyn, talked about the start when the NKVD, the precursor of the KGB, first started to come into homes and streets and grab people out there apartments to drag them off. Now, they had to turn out the whole street to witness this, partly to terrorize and get the message across to everyone what was happening and what would happen to them if they didn't comply. And he said that was right there, in the, right then. He says that's when, at the very beginning, we should have grabbed axes and pick handles and hammers and gone for these guys, these two or three cops. Because once it started, it became familiar, and we adapted to it. When things start happening, and it's commonplace, you're on your road to hell. Human nature is understood perfectly, perfectly well by those at the top. There are more sciences used on the public today than ever before in history. Russell himself talked about using Madison Avenue those who understood how to motivate people into doing things they would otherwise perhaps not do, even want things, even get in debt to get things. They brought them on board, the big think tanks, to guide society. They bring top sociologists on, ethnologists and anthropologists and so on. Massive teams of them work at think tanks to make sure that you and I behave the way they want us to behave. Speak about the things we're supposed to speak about and ignore the topics we're told to ignore as being taboo. I don't know if people understand, but the two men employed at the United Nations who were, came up with the whole non-smoking campaign adapted the techniques of conditioning a whole population across the Western world into something we'd studied in China. It's called creating social approval and social disapproval. He observed that they did no longer need to bring the troops in to drag away pregnant women 
for abortions for the second child because they convinced the neighbors through masses of propaganda for years that that second child was taking food away from someone else's mouth. And so it was an anti-social act to have a second child. So the neighbors would literally come in like a mob and pull them off to the clinic. Well, it's the same technique they started to borrow and work on for the anti-smoking campaign. And the anti-smokers thought, or the non-smokers thought, well, it doesn't bother me. BC smoking was a choice. That choice was gone now. The UN has now set its sights using the same techniques on obesity. A war on obesity. And shortly you'll be called in to have your waist measured as they have in Japan. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm walk back cutting through the matrix and I'm going through some of the techniques that are used on the public to make them behave in certain ways. Skinner, of course, and many others have written extensively on the techniques to be used on the general public and I, I've lived long enough to see it working on most people and you listen to the conversations, whether it's in a bar or having, having a wine outside somewhere on a table where the sun is, and most of their talk is straight out of their conditioning from the media. They adopt the terms used and part them into reality, like carbon footprints and, let's say, global warming, and greenhouse gases, all these complete abstracts, which are, have much as credibility as saying 25,000 novenas did in the Middle Ages. But that's how it's, they're using the tricks you see that they used for hundreds of years in religion. The same tricks on the people, because the scientists are the new priests now, you see. And we've been trained that they're always right. Even when they keep reversing their decisions and coming up with new theories, they're always right. And you must obey. And most what was called services, like Lenin talked about, that would be set up across the Western world, would eventually be turned into authorities. The League of Nations that was set up, the precursor of the United Nations, also had that in its charter. The services would be set up that they would eventually become authorities, including a health authority. And that has been done. We've lived through it. Now, Japan. Japan is an interesting country because during World War II, Hopkins was given the job with a whole team of people to come up with a, where the, how the new Japan would be, how it would operate. And they already knew they were going to set it up to, to be a manufacturer. They'd never had a country where people were so obedient before. Very obedient. They, they, they followed the laws and the rules and status and so on in the classes. And everybody knew their place and they, they jumped and hopped and skipped to attention when authority spoke. And here was a chance to use their techniques that would be used in the world in this little test country. And Hopkins came up with the whole idea. They knew darn well they were going to set up as a manufacturer for electronics. It was U.S. money that financed it into being. And 
because it's so obedient to country and because the U.S. also thought they'd bring in this, again, fascist-type keep-fit thing, which they were doing during World War II and prior to World War II, if you go back into the old, the old movies about it. You'd have to do all these exercises before you get into the factories in Japan. That's how it works. Well, here is, this is from the New York Times. Japan seeking trim wastes, and it measures millions. June 13th, 2008. Nagasaki, Japan, a con- uh, Japan, a country not known for its overweight people, has undertaken one of the most ambitious campaigns ever by a nation to slim down its citizenry. Now remember, I won't mention it here, but go back to the United Nations declaring war on obesity. You'll find everything comes really from there. And it says, um, um, a poster at a public health clinic in Japan reads, Goodbye, Metabo. See, they give you a little catchy word. Again, Lenin said by phrases and terms that they, they would speak these things into existence. Goodbye, metabo, a word associated with being overweight for metabolism. The Japanese government is mounting an ambitious weight loss campaign. Next is summoned by the city of Amagasaki. One recent morning, Minoru Nogori, 45, a flower shop owner, found himself lining up to have his waistline measured. With no visible point, she seemed to run little risk of being classified as overweight or metabo. How many times do they say metabo in this article, the preferred word in Japan these days? But because the new state prescribed limit for male waistlines is a strict 33.5 inches, he'd anxiously measured himself at home a couple of days earlier, and he was on the border. Under a national law that came into effect two months ago, companies and local governments must now measure the waistlines of Japanese people between the ages of 40 and 74 as part of their annual checkups. That represents more than 56 million waistlines, or 44% of the entire population. Those exceeding government limits, 33.5 for men and 35.4 inches for women, which are identical to thresholds established in 2005 for Japan by the International Diabetes Federation, also associated with the UN, as an easy guideline for identifying health risks and having a weight-related ailment will be given dieting guidance if after three months they do not lose weight. If necessary, those people will be steered towards further re-education after six more months. To reach his goal of shrinking the overweight population by 10% over the next four years and 25% over the next seven years, the government will impose financial penalties on companies and local governments that fail to meet meet specific targets, you know they're going to fire them. They'll fire the people if they can't get them down. The country's Ministry of Health argues that the campaign will keep the spread of diseases like diabetes and strokes in check. Also says that curbing widening waistlines will rein in a rapidly aging society's ballooning health care costs, one of the most seriously and politically delicate problems facing Japan today. Most Japanese are covered under public health or care or through their work. Anger over a plan that would make 75 and older pay more for health care brought a parliamentary censure motion Wednesday against the Prime Minister. But here's a thing, too. If you read on, down this article, they also want to use anti-cholesterol drugs, get the big pharmas in it, and start drugging you and all the rest of it. This is ownership. This is weighing the herd. That's what it's coming down to. And it'll be in a country near you soon. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt back in Cutting Through the Matrix. Just showing you how you cannot miss things abroad because what goes around comes around because we're all global already and we're on a massive push to declare world government openly once the Middle East is conquered. That's what it's all about. So we'll go to the phones now and we'll talk to Morris from Florida. Are you there, Morris? Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm from Texas. Okay. Uh, uh, I just thought I'd say that, uh, you know, I was looking at a history book when I was in, I guess, junior high school of Mussolini, and I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend, but a lot of people don't know how he died. They captured him, and they didn't want, uh, they wanted him, everybody to know that they caught him. But he was literally slapped to death by a bunch of little old ladies. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that story? I've yeah. read some of the journals. Mm-hmm. Because the men surrounded him, and, and the only people they would let in the center was a bunch of little old ladies. And mm-hmm. that's basically how he ended his life. And they kept telling him not to hit him in the face because they weren't people to recognize him and his, I guess, girlfriend. I don't think he was married. Yeah, with his wife. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the 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 thing that I was thinking about the smoking thing, we had a thing here, even in our city, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of cancer money spent by the American Cancer Society, which is like the last organization in the world that wants to cure cancer. That's right. And we also had another organization, a guy, uh, Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And the only people that were against them was basically the bar owners, and they could That's only right. come up with like thirteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And they ran a candidate on that platform. If he'd have shifted his votes to another candidate, we might have would have won. But the, we were outspent like twenty to one. Yeah. And so you know, the basically, I guess what I was really wanting to call about is that that there's been so many times in my life, and I'm sure yours and other people's lives where the majority, maybe 80%, 90% of the people felt a certain way. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, it's like it never changed my mind. Yeah. And I, I do think there's a genealogy of good and there's a genealogy of evil. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that there are people that, that, that see, even though the masses, even if it's 95%, yeah. And I just kind of wanted you to talk about that. What, you know, what is that? Because I've always said for myself, it's not what life's about, mm-hmm. but it's whose life's about. And yeah. for me, uh, I, I just have had the fundamental uh, belief of uh, Yahweh, you know, like Jim Jones out in South Africa where everybody drinks Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. There were some people that got off that bus, and the first thing he did when he got off the bus was through the Bible in a bush, and this is actually recorded in history, and they said, we don't need this. And there were some people, through their training and genealogy and beliefs, knew that wasn't the right path, and they chose the good. But, yeah. you know, when you have people... But, but anyway, the, the, thing, the thing is, as I say, it, democracy doesn't exist. You see, 
there's an agenda at work here. The same sure. even when they created the super cities. Again, that was a, a mandate that came down from the United Nations. And they tried that in Toronto and all the other little townships that they were amalgamated, that weren't amalgamated then said, they all voted no when they eventually got a vote at all. And only got a vote because they demanded it, the public demanded it. And it was overwhelmingly against the amalgamation. And the mayor came out and says, well, you're getting it anyway. I mean, that's what happens over and over. It's the same with what we saw in Ireland there. They vote against this ratification of the treaty, uh, this final ratification. And right away in the the BBC the next day, it's, oh, what went wrong? Uh, We'll have to keep at the people until they get it right. You know, and and this, this, the campaign never stops. And people are being conditioned along, as I say, the same techniques they used in China. They work very well. They're, They're tried and tested. And they go after the smokers first to change your way, and now they're going after obesity, and it won't stop there. We're all to be trained in a whole new system of greening, and now the big uh, philanthropic companies, organizations, and foundations are putting out millions there behind the greenies in every area. They're getting millions of dollars to start campaigning in the local areas for us all to start thinking green, cutting back emissions and everything, and eventually they'll come round and they'll be inspecting your homes. And I'm not kidding about that. That's that's the agenda. Yeah, and and I think a lot of times, like we tried to to tell the people here, the people that were informed and knew what was going on, this wasn't about what they were talking about. Never is. It was was that, yeah, it never is. What it was really about was property rights. And so, you know, the thing of it is, is, is that that is the, the paradigm shift. But, you know, all through civilization, all through history, mm-hmm. it seems that people, there's always that, you know, it, it, I think the biggest thing, diff, you know, they, they always use the left side of their brain. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I know, but, but thanks for calling. Is that our callers? You will have to get them on. And we'll go to Joe from New York. Hello, Joe. Hi, everyone. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, go ahead. Uh, last time I called you, I was uh, rather uh, despondent as I learned more and more about this. And uh, to start off, I thought I'd uh, throw out some encouragement to you and to other people who are trying to wake other people up, because it can be a, a hard road to walk. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and what I found is that it's, uh, you know, when your whole world is rocked mm-hmm. uh, and, and turned upside down, it's a, such a tremendous sense of loss. That's what got me down. Uh, yep. But it's uh, to get through it, you have to almost look at it like psychologists uh, talk about the stages of grief. It's a stage uh, of grief. You first, when you realize democracy is dead, uh, then you then you go through uh, depression, anger, all those phases the same way. You're so you're right, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And when you're trying to change somebody else's mind, you have to give them that opportunity to go through them themselves. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why the first thing is denial, uh, usually. Right. Uh, and uh, eventually, if you keep at it, we'll uh, we'll wake more and more people up. So mm-hmm. That's a bit of encouragement. The, yeah, that's uh, question... how you do it. Yeah. The and they might even they might even turn on you in the early phases because they will get angry, oh, and right. no, you absolutely. have to accept that. Yeah. And when they did that at first, I would uh, I get turned off. I said, "This is never going to work. These people, you know, are mm-hmm. are uh, they're blind, and we're all doomed. Yeah. And we very well may all be doomed, but at least uh, you know we're doing our part." But my question had to do with a book that uh, I feel lucky to have uh, picked up over the weekend. It's uh, The Outline of History. It was published in the 20s by H.G. Wells. 
HG Wells, yeah, but uh, um, it first came out in two sets, but his his son finished off the last couple of chapters because Wells died in, I think, 48. Right, so, right, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be quite a, uh, an undertaking. It's a pretty thick book. Yeah. But, uh, oh, he goes into the eugenics there, and he also categorizes the superior races in a descending order and who will have to be eliminated is in that book. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to uh, ask you to comment on. What should I be looking for in the book and if there's a spin and... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll take uh, whatever comments you have left off the air. And, um, <clears throat> again, keep up the good work. Okay, thanks for calling. Yeah, H.G. Wells went through the agenda because he was in on the big think tanks that planned the whole century and into this century. And he talked about the new control system where everyone would be born and raised and trained for the specific type of work rather than this competition style we have at the moment. It was just too inefficient, and he also had the, the, a descending order of uh, superior types and inferior types that would never work in uh, a new economic system, and they'd have to simply be eliminated. So it's quite uh, ruthless in the book. If you get the earlier copies, they're better. They did alter some of the later uh, abridged editions, but uh, the first two um, came out separately, Volumes 1 and 2, History of the World, Part 1 and 2, and then they amalgamated one into one volume, and it was abridged. So they cut a lot of, of the more arrogant statements out of it. And it was finished off by his son, who he had left himself with Pavlov, because that was the hero of Wells, the man who could do operant conditioning on animals and people. And his son uh, learned the Pavlovian techniques, and then he came over the, to New York to, to work in, at universities there and implement the same techniques. So it's well worth uh, getting a copy, a US copy, if you can. Now we've got uh, Maggie from Texas. Are you there, Maggie? Yes, hello, Alan. Hello. Um, uh, the uh, first caller's question and your response to it covered a lot about uh, a lot of what I was um, intending to ask about, so I'll just uh, make it short. You mentioned, I believe, that the uh, international anti-smoking campaign was designed basically by two people. Um, who were they, and can you tell me a little more about that or where to find some more information on them? Well, I, I, I got uh, an email last week. It took me to a link from a newspaper, if I could possibly find it. Mm -hmm. And these two characters have actually put out a book on how they did it. Oh, really? Yeah, they're boasting how they managed to change uh, the minds of people. And they said in the book that they're now going to use the same techniques on the obesity, the war against obesity, so that they'll make it a social disapproval for overweight people. They'll separate you, make you feel like a leopard. That's what they did with smokers. Mm -hmm. And they'd also train the school children to, to point and all that kind of stuff, just the same as they did with smokers. Mm -hmm. And they're using, going to use these techniques uh, along with... And mind you, that's not all. Vegetarianism is to come in with this along the, along the way as well. That's very... But, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. But I'll, I'll try and find that if I haven't scrubbed it. Okay. And, uh, I'll, I'll email you then with the, uh, the request. I, I find that very interesting because I, I knew something was fishy mm -hmm. when this whole thing came in about very abruptly about 15 years ago, as I recall. And I'm not a smoker, but I was very, very mm -hmm. offended by it. 
Yeah. I knew there was something bad, but I couldn't put my fingers on it. That yeah. I was not yet awake. Oh, yeah. But now I oh, am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for calling. Yeah, sure. And we've got Joel in Los Angeles. Are you there, Joel? Hi, Alan. Hello. Yeah, hi, Alan. Uh, this is Joel in L.A. And um, I was wondering about the book publisher, Tims and Hudson. Have they been a publisher in, how would you say, good standing with the Tavistock Institute or the New World Order agenda for a long time? I'd have to see their, their books or publications of books. You're on the right path, though. I know what you mean, because I've studied uh, this for so many years. You'll find certain publishers come out along the same themes with different authors to do with uh, sociology, social changes, that kind of thing. Other ones cater for the New Age, promoting the New Age philosophies, etc. And there's always a tie-in uh, with those that create all of the culture, and that goes back, as again, as I say, to the old Tavistock Institutes and the big think tanks. So there very possibly is, especially if you find the same kinds of, of books um, advocating specific types of directions of social change. I see. Okay. The reason I was asking was in regards to uh, the international graffiti subculture that has sort of gone all over the world. I know Tims and Hudson, I mean, well, I was a graffiti artist in the 80s and 90s, and I noticed that Tims and Hudson was always publishing these books about graffiti that every graffiti writer all over, you know, the country or the world seemed to have. And then I noticed they're putting out new stuff as well, and I was just wondering how this fit into the big agenda. Well, I do know that even governments, local governments, started to pay a lot of the artists uh, back then, too, uh, to start uh, putting paintings up on buildings in the cities as well. And now part of it was to, was to as um, Charles Galton Darwin says, is, is because the people are crowded in cities and there's a lot of uh, terrible things happen in cities and the conditions aren't pleasant, it says we can make the people like them and Part of it's done by creating a bonding or familiarity with certain things that you see and so on. And, and so they're giving out grants to specific, not all, but some of these graffiti artists to do large paintings, even along whole walls too. And it was to make it more familiar and, and then get the community talking and discussing uh, what was in the art itself. And, and then it would go under local newspapers as our community because they were pushing communitarianism. That's the term they now use in Washington, D.C. Uh, so communitarianism had, had to be pushed through all various kinds of ways and especially through the arts. So it might have something to do with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for the info. I'll look more into it. And just before I get off uh, the line here, I wanted to ask you about that vegetarianism thing. Mm -hmm. If the food was non-GMO, yeah. would it be a good idea to be a vegetarian, or is vegetarianism something that should be avoided? I, again, you see, this is, this is where I differ from most folks. I'm normal. I would say it's choices. We're, we're not living in a normal phase because we, we don't have people with choices anymore. They want us to do what they want you to do. Um, all I can say is that... that that um, I, in this last while I've known vegetarians that are killing over dead. Uh, some of them are, are, are vegans. Uh, whether it's a GMO food, I have no idea. But they don't have the stamina left uh, to overcome even little 
medications and so on. There are certain things you will get in meat. There's enzymes and so on, uh, which are absent in a, in a vegan diet. And you'll find that the vegetarians, especially when it's in cold countries, have an awful time of it trying to cope uh, with the cold. Um, the circulation is generally poor. And that's just the way it is, you know. It boils down, as I say, and vegetarianism has been, is being promoted from the top along with the whole New Age movement. It's not a new idea. It came in in the 1800s. Uh, they said they'd promote that because they were copying India as a model. In India, the people there were so well managed for thousands of years that what they were told didn't think too deeply, didn't object to any nasty stuff from governments or kings or princes. And, of course, that's the greatest way to get an obedient people when you're partly undernourished. And if your body is not well, your mind doesn't work uh, at full capacity either. You certainly are no, no mood for rebellion. You don't have the physical oh. energy for it, you know. I see. Okay, well, thank you, and I'll, I'll let you go for the other callers here. Okay, thanks for calling. <laughs> thank and I, it's funny enough, too, I just read an article there uh, that came up about, uh, again, it's pushed by the United Nations, and it's about uh, it's to re-educate the public on going green, going vegetarian. And I think there's a whole list of stuff they get uh, from the greenies about uh, how much extra carbon animals produce, uh, all the ones that you're eating, what they produce, and so on. And uh, it's nothing but a propaganda piece, but get used to it, because you're going to get lots and lots of this stuff getting churned out shortly because the big boys have unlimited money and organizations and access to the media. This is the mandate, and we're going to go through it. I'll be back with more after this break. through the matrix and you were on a roll from every facet every part of your life is under attack right now very quietly in some areas more overt than others and they will want access to your home shortly and they'll do carbon taxes and they'll assess your home for your output etc and all this utter nonsense that they're going to bring in and the whole idea too is also to get you used to the fact that that you have no privacy or private property. We've been trying forever to get into people's homes to get that psychological impact across. Through laws, they're going to have access to your homes. So as well as renting, that's the whole idea. It's to let you know that you have no real rights even in your own home. And there's an article that came out from Scotland. It's quite interesting and uh, this is about a place called Stirling. Stirling is where William Wallace uh, defeated Edward's army just outside there at the old bridge. And it says here, Mother gets £1.25 million to help cut Stirling's carbon output. See how they put a story across this mother. They won't tell you all the organizations she belongs to, mind you. A woman who came up with a simple scheme that helps people change their lifestyle and save energy has been hailed as bringing in a new era. Young mother came up. She was getting 1.25 million pounds backing from the big lottery fund. Again, that's how they decide that through philanthropy who gets the funding. You see, that's how you change it through NGOs. And the Scottish government, 
Rachel Nunn's simple scheme, going carbon neutral sterling, involves altering the way people think. What was it Charles Galt and Darwin said about the cities? It would be unpleasant and nasty things, but we can alter, make people like them, not by changing the conditions, but simply making the people like them. So she, she says it by making, by the way people think. She says it's the start of an exciting new era. She's 35, mother of two boys, and said under the scheme, campaigners would visit community groups regularly and gradually encourage people to reset their aspirations and desires. Train you. She's training people. Where's William Wallace when you need him, with that big sword of his? Of course, they've got up at the Wallace Monument encased in glass. But this is how they do it. They, they select certain people who are fanatics, belong to the right associations, presented to the public as though it's just a housewife. You don't just give a housewife 1.25 million pounds. You double that for dollars. So it's exactly door-to-door with NGOs to start nagging you into altering your behavior. But that's what's happening. And it'll be happening in Canada, in the States, and everywhere else, for that matter. Getting back to the start of tonight, I mentioned that you keep me going. The show is brought to you by you. I have a thousand things to do during a day. It's, I'm run off my feet. Absolutely run off my feet. I do most of the... I do, it's all secretarial work, really. And I'm, I'm doing it all. And that's what really consumes the time. And I also have to get out and chop wood and all the rest of it for this winter. Because no one else will. So I appreciate those who do send in donations, etc., and you can also buy DVDs and CDs and my books on the website. How to do it is up there too. I encourage people to go in there. And people should also start to download stuff, burn it to disk, because you don't know how long these sites will be allowed up. I wouldn't be surprised if one day governments simply give the order and they're all pulled. Too late to download them or save them for posterity or to pass on for children. Well, that's the music for tonight. So from Hamish and myself, from Thundery, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.